Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Now, the time that this letter was written, Epaphras, um, who started the church, was with Paul in Rome. Paul was in prison, and he'd obviously been giving him this update about what's happening in Colossae, talking about what's going on in the church since he started it, talking about the people, talking about the community, talking about the relationships. And so Paul, what he's doing is he's putting some of his responses to what he's hearing in a letter to go back to the church in Colossae. And we don't know exactly um, what Epaphras reported, but it's clear from this whole letter um, that what he's talking about includes uh, reports of discord and division in community um, between friends and also an immaturity in both relationships and in the life of the church. So Paul's response to these difficulties and to the broken relationships in Colossae, and this is what we see in this part of the letter, comes in the form of encouraging the Colossians to take off their existing ways, and you can find those a few verses earlier in chapter 3, and then to put on what we've just read, this list of eight things. And actually that translation, take off, is putting it quite mildly. Most translations have put to death. So put to death these ways of interacting that are negative and don't bring peace, and put on these ways of interacting that do bring peace. So we have this image of putting off, we have this image of taking off, we have this image of putting on, and I think that that should leave us asking the question, what have I put on? What do I put on in my relationships? What am I wearing? Now, I actually don't have anything really complex to share with you today. In fact, what this passage says is really simple, but being simple is not the same as it being easy. A simple instruction, a simple encouragement like we read here is definitely not an easy one. And part of the problem, I think, is that these words and this language is really familiar. So at first, it doesn't feel challenging. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of time, just a couple of minutes with each one, to look at each of those eight things to go back to basis and see what those words mean and then how they can help us find pathways of peace with those around us. First one. Compassionate hearts. So there's two um, root words in the Greek for this. Oiktimos, um, which means concern for others, and splanchanon, which means inward or inner parts. Those two words together mean heartfelt compassion. Um, actually, they more literally mean having bowels of compassion, but I think heart sounds a bit better than bowels, so we'll go with a heart of compassion. Um, but either way, it means a deep inner concern that we are called to have for one another. And I think this is really difficult in 21st century culture in the West. The practice is that we make ourselves the centre of our world. And that's a huge obstacle to this type of deep inner concern or compassion. I'm not going to talk about it in any depth, but technology and social media don't help us with this because we become more concerned about our own story than being joined to other people's stories. And that leaves us with distance and it leaves us with apathy in our relationships. And it's really hard to build deep concern for other people that way. Just a couple of practical suggestions about how we can put on compassionate hearts, and we're going to move through these eight really quickly. Firstly, to choose, actively choose to look below the surface, to lean into other people, to engage with them, to be present, to engage with their experiences and try to understand them. And then secondly, to get out of our own echo chambers, both in real life but also online. If you're only listening to the people who sound like you and who think the same as you and who will back up your arguments, then you're not going to grow in compassion. 
Develop empathy by being present, engaging fully, listening with your mind and your heart as well as with your ears. That's one of the best things that you can do to pursue a deep inner concern for other people. And where there is that deep inner concern, there's much more likely to be peace. Second one, kindness. Um, Christotes, this is, and this is the virtue of another's good being as dear to you as your own. And the English word kind is one of the oldest words in the English language, um, and its original meaning was often used to, um, as this as well actually, was nature, which I find really interesting. Um, It's also where we get our word kin from. So there's something in that, isn't there, about what our natural state of connectedness to one another should be. Kindness. Um, does anyone know who this man is? I don't know if you saw this story this week. This is Robert F. Smith. Um, he's addressing graduates in Morehouse College, Atlanta, um, and he's doing their graduation speech. And his grad- the graduation speech is full of all these like very usual things, you know, motivation and inspiration go on and change the world. Um, and then very unusually, he says as part of his speech that he would like to pay off the debt of every student who's graduating that year. I mean, it's not a super big college. We're talking hundreds rather than thousands, and he's a very wealthy man. But isn't that unusual? And I've read a couple of the articles about this, and they're like, oh, this is a random act of kindness. This is a flashy gesture. I don't think it is, actually. I think that this is a man who holds the, the good of others very dear to him. There was a quote in one of the articles I read from a finance graduate who'd said he had estimated that even going on to the good career that he would have, we are talking about college debts in America, that it would take him 20 years to pay off his loan if he paid off 50% of his salary over that time. So this man completely changed the course of hundreds of students' lives. And this is one of the things that he says himself. More than the money we make, the awards or recognition or titles we earn, each of us should be measured by how much we contribute to the people around us, how much we contribute to their success. He's someone who held other people's good dear to him. And I struggled a bit with even using it as an example because it's financial, and I don't say that that's what it looks like, but this is one example, I think. Next. Humility. Now, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Greek there. Um, But it means having a humble opinion of ourselves. It doesn't mean a surface or a false humility where we self-deprecate or where we hide um, behind who we are. And that can be quite British, can't it? Um, But it's living in the knowledge that we are not self-made at the most fundamental level, that who we are um, is not kind of... At root, it's a gift. It's not a reward for our own greatness. Again, what does it look like to put on humility with others? Um, Three really simple marks of this. Um, To have a genuine and inner gratitude for other people. To celebrate others, and we love to do that in this community, I know. And also to articulate the value of others more than you articulate your own value. I think that's a really good test. Do we talk about how great we are, or do we talk about how great other people are? I know that I've said this before, but this is something that we want to be really normal in this community. So let's practice it with one another. Meekness. Um, meekness, I love this one. Um, pr- I don't know how you say that. Protato. P- protato. 
potato, potato, um, potato. I'm not sure. Oh, this is one. I did do the like sound thing when you and I got confused with all of them. But anyway, this is one that we do get confused about. Um, it's not weakness, and I think we we connect weakness with meekness. Actually, meekness is strength. It is quiet strength the opposite of self-importance. And in some ways, I suppose it's an outworking of humility in our interaction with other people. Seen in the person who feels no need to impress others or to force themselves on others. And again, it's not something that's super highly valued in our culture, but it's something we want to see valued in our community and something that we want to see valued in this church that we're forming. I don't feel the need to impress you. I don't want you to feel the need to impress me. And if we are like that, we can make a genuine contribution to relationships and to community life. Patience is the next one. So this has got, again, got two root words, macros and thumos that make macrothymia. Macros is long and thumos is passion. And often we translate um, patience as long suffering, but, but it's more truly long passion. To have a heart that loves and longs over the long haul, over a long time. A heart that is prepared to wait, and a heart that is prepared to wait really well over time, given obstacles, given uncertainty, and not being where you want to be. Um, so Ryan and Ali, uh, if you've not had much opportunity to practice this one yet, then let me assure you, uh, by the time Gail is a toddler, uh, you will be growing in this all the way. We've not hit teenage years, but I um, can't wait to get there for that. I have got a long way to go on this one as a parent. Um, for those of you who are part of this church community, you'll know that we do this. For those of you who are visiting, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, we like to get little video clips of our kids and kind of honour parents by doing that. And this Mother's Day, um, what Olivia said, I think they were asked, like, what does your mum do for you or something like that? I can't remember the exact question, but Olivia, our older daughter's um, tribute to me this year was, mummy helps me even though we're in a rush. And to be honest, the mummy helps me bit sort of got lost in the realisation that her perception of me, the main one, is that I am always rushing. So as I say, I've got a long way to go. It says a lot about my patience. It can be really hard, can't it? It can be really, really difficult to be patient, to long for and to wait for things without the strain of not being there yet impacting on your relationships, meaning that you're short with other people or harsh with other people, even those people that are most dear to you. So let me just have a drink. Those first five um, ways... Uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience are garments to put on if we return to that um, taking off and putting on. But Paul doesn't finish there. He goes on to instruct the Colossians to bear with one another. I think this is another one I'm not going to pronounce yet. Um, so this um, is more than tolerating each other. And I think we've lost something of what bear with me means because we hear bear with me when we're on a really long call with someone in customer services and they say, oh, bear with me. Oh, I'm phoning up for the 17th time in my case to order a new bank card after I've lost it and they're saying bear with me. Or we're in a shop and we're trying to pay and there's a queue forming behind us and we haven't got the right money. And so we say bear with me to the person at the checkout as a way of acknowledging that we um, are creating this queue. So we've connected it to just to waiting. But bear with me is not actually primarily about waiting. That's far too narrow. It means a willingness to accommodate difference. Much deeper than that, it also means to shore up 
and to make strong what is weak in others. That's very different, isn't it, to bear with me, to shore up and make strong what is weak in others. Now, some of the worst parts of our culture are founded on tearing other people down, aren't they? On laughing at people when they are low. And that that is the total opposite of shoring up. I actually think that this is something that we in Stockwell are already quite good at, which is amazing. But let's give ourselves to it again. How about if we, as a community, always bear with one another and bear with the others that we're connected to, actively choosing to share our strength, even in difference? Forgiveness. Now, we could uh, spend a whole series on forgiveness, and um, if you... Uh, yeah, if you're expecting to hear a lot on forgiveness today, you absolutely are not. It can't be a focus. It's huge. Um, but I do want to acknowledge it's in this verse that um, at some point in our relationships, we are all going to be offended and we are all also going to be the offender. Now, biblical forgiveness is to graciously and freely restore one to another. And that is, or it can be, the direct opposite of what we feel is natural in terms of our desire to be right or our desire to be vindicated. But those two reactions, they break down and they destroy community and they break down and destroy peace rather than graciously repairing and restoring it. The Bible talks about forgiveness a lot. Um, In the Gospels, Jesus is asked how many times, he's asked by a man how many times he should forgive someone who's wronged him, and he sort of tentatively says seven times, and Jesus says, no, I tell you 70 times seven, Um, and he's obviously not limiting it to 490 times, he's saying it needs to be ongoing, it needs to be unceasing, there shouldn't be a limit to your forgiveness. It's absolutely foundational to faith for those of us who are Christians as we consider the staggering debt that God forgave and how we can there, in the light of that, only be met with the smallness of the debt that others have towards us. As God has forgiven us, this verse says, so we forgive others. Be generous with your forgiveness. And in doing that, you'll find a wide pathway to peace. Forgiveness is a wide pathway to peace. So Paul commends us to bear with one another, forgive one another, and then he says, above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So the garments that we've already spoken about actually are manifestations of love. Some are our outward posture towards other people, and some are our inward kind of thoughts and reactions to people. But love perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in our relationships. Now, what do we mean by love? One of my favorite definitions of love is the active pursuit of another's good, even at personal cost. Now, we were talking about this in the car as I was preparing... um, to do this talk earlier in the week. And I said to Tim, well, you use that quote, that love quote, I'm going to use that. Where's it from? And he said, oh, it's, it's mine. I was like, oh, okay. So, so, so Tim, if Tim can quote himself, then I can certainly quote Tim as well. So you all know now the active pursuit of another's good, even at personal cost, is by Tim Frisbee. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, So what is love, though, in relation to all these things that I've talked about? What is not an either-or, is it, actually? That's really clear. If you have the others, then you will have love. And if you have love, then it's more than likely that you will be wearing these garments already. Love is the root of these behaviours and attitudes. 
And as the passage says, it also holds them together. It's over them and it binds them together. And in so doing, it also binds people together in peace, in relationships of peace. Love is the bond of perfection, of perfect harmony, the outer garment that covers what we've already spoken about. We should be wrapping ourselves in love. So with all of these things that we've talked about, what do we actually need to do? Um, what can we learn from the passage about how to do this? And I think there's something really clear, even, again, in these few short verses. We are asked to put on these things. And I really love how the message translation um, puts this. Dress in the wardrobe that God has picked out for you. Um, and I say that this because there's something of a responsibility there in putting on, in dressing ourselves. We are responsible for clothing ourselves. Clothing ourselves is something Saturdays and Sundays we take very seriously in the Frisbee house. Monday to Friday, without fail, I have a four-year-old saying, Mommy, get me dressed. Um, Saturday, Sundays, when they get the choice, I mean, you will have seen this actually if you've been here for any length of time. Elsa has been to church a number of times. More recently we've had a pirate who's been here quite a few times. I don't think the troll has ever made it to church but that's a great look isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, to, I guess to make a serious point in this um, we can be in danger of asking God to make us kind or God to make us compassionate or God to make us patient. And of course, we can ask God to help us with this and we need God to help us with this. But it's an instruction and imperative. We are to put on those things ourselves. We are to clothe ourselves. We need to make a decision to do it. It's not automatic. We're not going to feel like doing it every day, but we can make choices and decisions on how we relate to other people and actually, an better, even better translation for clothing ourselves is to keep on putting on. There's a sense of this being daily and continuous. That should be an encouragement to us. We don't get dressed once, and that's it. We keep on getting dressed every day. One of the um, conversations that I'm having quite a lot with Olivia at the moment, our six-year-old, is that if you make a bad decision in one moment or one day, then you are in control of making a better decision the next moment or the next day. And we can do this in our relationships too. There might be real reasons why we struggle to relate to particular people in these ways we've been talking about today. Yeah, you might struggle to put on kindness. You might struggle to put on patience. You will struggle to forgive. All of that is really normal, and we do need help with that. Um, if you are in this church and you struggle with that, I'd really recommend, if you want to unpick it, it's worth doing that. We've got a pastoral support team who would love to get alongside you and walk through some of this with you. If you are not in our church, then I'd recommend that you seek help elsewhere where you can. It's worth getting these things right. Get to a place where you can make really good choices in your relationships with other people. We're not talking about random acts of kindness. We're not talking about... Um, accidental patience it's thoughtful it's intentional not talking about waiting for someone in their weakness but sharing our strength and bearing with them in that place we don't want to make expense at, at jokes at our expense um, just so that people will laugh but we want to have in this community an intentional practice of meekness and humility and all of these things there's this encouragement that they have to be put on by deliberate choice so if you're starting to think that this sounds a little bit like hard work, then it is. Um, there's no getting around that. But what, So why would we do it? Let's just go back to those last two words of verse 14. Perfect harmony, peace and harmony. Something about peace with others that opens the way to a wider and deeper peace. It won't surprise you that everything that we've looked at today is used to describe the characteristics of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. 
The passage goes on a few verses later than what we've read to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In the message, it says, let the peace be the umpire, the referee. What does that mean for our relationships? To me, that means in thinking about our relationships, we should constantly be asking ourselves, what call can I make for peace? What is the next step for peace? What is the response for peace in this situation? And by daily putting on these um, garments, then I think that those calls will become easier and easier to make. There's so many passages in the Bible that speak about relationships, and we'll look at a few more in the coming weeks. But even with this passage, why is there so much attention given to the ways we should treat one another? God is and always has been relational, and he really deeply cares about our relationships. We're designed to be in community, not in isolation. And when we walk deeply with one another, this this kind of stuff gets revealed, the layers that we are wearing and what's covering them. All these things that we've talked about can only be revealed in community. They are the things that make love visible and tangible in our interactions with other people. And in fact, they only truly express themselves person to person. So we put on these things, and you could say that they are good in and of themselves. But we also put them on because they are the way of peace. They sound simple, but they're not easy. There's something else too. As we put them on, in doing so, we are adorning ourselves with the beauty of the character of Jesus. As I said, these are words that are used accurately to describe him. Jesus wore all of these garments so well. He wore them, he still wears them perfectly well, all the time. Whether you've never looked at the person of Jesus, his life, or whether you know him well, let me finish with this. At the very beginning of the passage, before he asks them to put anything on, he reminds them of who they are. Chosen, holy, and dearly beloved. The dearly beloved of God. Isn't that amazing? They do this having just been told who they are. And Paul can say that because he has an understanding of who Jesus is and how he acted, how he lived, but also because he has a personal knowledge of Jesus. He knows him to be a real person like I do and like many others here do. So as we've been talking about the garments, let's finish by looking at the garments of Jesus. Now, Jesus, he took off actually heavenly robes because of his great love, his unrivaled compassion, his unrivaled inner concern for us. He left the glory of heaven and he clothed himself with flesh as he came to earth again because of his unrivaled love for us. He humbled himself, making himself vulnerable, born as the Bible said he would be, as a baby to a teenage mother in a corner of the Middle East, He displayed perfect kindness in every interaction with someone who was lost or broken or confused. He identified with our nature as our kin. He lived on earth as he lives now, always for our good, holding our good dear. Though he was king of kings, he left his throne perfectly meek for us. He didn't force himself on us. He didn't force himself on anyone else. And he displayed incredible patience with those who scorned him and mocked him and judged him. He displayed the ultimate forbearance, shoring up our weakness, our distance from God, and covering all of the things that came between us and God. He completed God's work of full forgiveness, which is on offer even today. His robe was love. It still is love. His life was love. His death and resurrection was love. 
That is like no other love you will know, bringing peace like no other peace you will know, and a perfect harmony like no other perfect harmony. Jesus covered us in his love when we were found with no satisfactory garments, with none of this. His love covers all, and in it we see his compassionate heart, his kindness, his humility and meekness, his patience, his forbearance, his forgiveness, and his great, great love. Could I have the band back, please? So we thought a bit about the um, meaning behind eight garments that can lead us to peace with others. Hopefully, I have encouraged you to make active choices, intentionally dressing for peace and walking in pathways of peace. But I also want to invite you to look at the one who designed these garments, at the one who designed the whole wardrobe. We're not asked to put on anything that he has not already perfectly modelled to bring us peace first with himself, but also with others. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect love. We thank you for your compassion and your kindness, for your humility, for your meekness, for your patience, your forbearance, your forgiveness, and your great love. And we ask for your help. Jesus, would we see more of this in you, that we might live this out more with those around us? Would you lead us to peace, Jesus? Would you lead us to peace and help us be peacemakers with those around us as we put on and make choices to put on these garments? Would you help us by your Holy Spirit? Amen.